Hi, good morning, friends and family of the River Church. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope that you're having a great Sunday morning from your living room to our backyard. And we're really excited to share all about love this morning. We're gonna hear from James Pettifield in just a moment, but I just wanna share, isn't this such a crazy time for all of us? I don't know about you, but um, my wife, Casey and I, we're yes people. If you know us, we're always saying yes to all these things, which we deeply love, but this truly has been a season of not being able to say yes to a lot of things. And it's really caused us to slow down. And we've been able to say yes to each other and our family, and we're getting to experience moments with our kids that we otherwise would have missed. I mean, gosh, yesterday, our golden retriever turned one, Archie, and we got to celebrate his birthday, and how fun was that? I hope that you're finding these moments of love and joy in your own homes and your own family during this time. Thank you so much again for joining us. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump right into worship. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the bits of joy and love that each one of us get to experience in our own homes with our own families. Lord, I pray for those that are ill right now, God, that you would comfort them and their families. God, that your healing power would be circulating the, the hospitals and Lord, that your spirit of strength would be putting out the spirit of fear that seems to be in so many communities right now. Lord, thank you for who you are to us. Thank you for the love that you continually share with us daily. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.
Good morning, River Church. I have something so incredibly special to share with you guys today. I'm so thankful for all of the people that were involved in making this video for you guys. Thank you so much for putting in the time and the effort. Um, but we are so excited to share that we got the band back together and we are going to worship together to raise a hallelujah. I know you've been missing the band. I've been missing the band. Jacob's great. But I've been missing the band, and so I hope you enjoy this. I hope you worship with us. Here's Raise a Hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah. In the presence of my enemies I raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief I raise a hallelujah My weapon is a melody Louder and louder, you're gonna hear our praises roar. Up 
morning, River Church. James here. I am so happy to be with you this morning. I don't know about you, but this week started to feel like the beginning of the end of the Safer at Home quarantine. The beaches are opening up for activity. More and more businesses are opening up. People are making vacation plans. LA traffic is making a comeback. I never thought I'd be happy to see the 405 in gridlock. So this is kind of an exciting week in my heart, because I realized it's not gonna last forever. It's gonna be a while, but it's not gonna last forever. And I don't know about you, but at the beginning, I literally thought like, I'm never getting out of this. This is just life now. And, and now I'm asking the question, now that it's almost over, what have I done with this historically unprecedented season of the safer at home quarantine? What did I do? 
So I've been doing a bit of an inventory. And it's a little bit depressing when you compare yourself with like what other people have been up to. For example, there's that French dude that he ran an entire marathon on his balcony back and forth for 26 point whatever miles. Or there's that UK mountaineering guy you might have heard of. He put on all of his mountaineering gear and then he climbed his stairs up and down to the equivalent of Mount Everest. There are people I hear about that are learning languages and like learning instruments. People are taking on massive yard projects or like remodels and I'm going, what did I do? So in preparation for the sermon, I put together like a short list of uh, things I've done during quarantine. I'll let you know ahead of time, it's not impressive, but it's important. Number one, I've learned how to properly spell quarantine. So I actually learned that while writing these cards. I was trying to like quarantine. I was adding something to it. And so a uh, little research on Google, figured it out, people. Uh, number two, I learned how to mute and unmute myself in a Zoom meeting. It may not sound like a big deal to you, but if you've ever been in a Zoom meeting with me, you realize what an accomplishment that is. Number three, I've gotten like really good, wicked fast at tying a handkerchief face mask. Uh, don't believe me? Check this out. Follow me over to camera too. Josh, time me, bro. So you got to get the knot going early. That's the key. Hold on. I'm still going. Time me. Don't stop. You get the knot going around the back of the head. Okay, because that's how it works. Once that's secure, you pull it up, and guess what? Everyone's safe, people. So some are calling me the fastest face mask this side of PCH. I'm a little too humble for that, but I'll take it. Okay, that's number three. Number four, I have really been nurturing. You might tell already. I've really been nurturing a mustache. Like, I've been taking good care of this. A strict regimen of beard butter, of regular brushings, uh, affirmations. Just waking up in the morning and looking at that mirror and looking at that mustache and saying, I'm so proud of you, mustache. You're a wonderful mustache. Uh, nothing will get you through the, the sadness of quarantine like a healthy mustache. John Juge, if you're watching, you understand what I mean. Greg Mitri, you get it. Pat Cowan, I know you know this. Tony Baldassano, you feel me on this one. Connor Beatty, even you with that itty bitty emerging mustache, understand what I'm saying. Number five, while my neighbors are repaving their driveways and building organic gardens, I've been growing out my hair. I've been really leaning into that, growing out the hair, and I'm feeling good about it. Like, right now, I'm kind of heading for an Ashton Kutcher look, but I can't seem to break out of the Gary Busey face that I'm in, but trust in the Lord for it. We're talking about resurrection. Todd's been talking about resurrection. Matt's been talking about resurrection. Denise has been talking about resurrection. I'm talking about resurrection, and we're asking the question, how does the truth and beauty and power and promise of the resurrection of Jesus, how does that impact my life, my now and my future? And so today, as I'm asking these questions and I'm kind of joking around a bit about the quarantine, but really there is, there is this consideration of what did I do with the time I had? How did I invest it? And it leads me to actually a bigger question, which is how have I invested and been investing the relatively, relatively comparatively short thing I call my life. Like it feels like when you're really young, like it's just gonna go forever. Before your prefrontal cortex is fully formed, you're like, there's no end to this thing called life. And now that I'm kind of heading towards middle age and realizing, oh my gosh, 
decades kind of go by quickly. And what have I been up to? What are the things that I've been nurturing and developing? What are the affections that I have been pursuing and the, and the pleasures and the habits that I've been invested in? And are the things and priorities that I've dumped my life into, are these in the now growing into forever or are they perishable? Do they have a shelf life of like, so long as I'm here, these are things that are going to matter. And once I'm, I'm sort of gone, they cease to matter. This is a big question. And it's a question I think all of us, especially as we think about resurrection life, want to be asking. Am I invested in things that appreciate la olam? There's a cool Hebrew term, into forever. And so as we think about this big, fat resurrection question, I want to invite you, me, like all of us to be asking not just the small question about quarantine, what have I been up to, but the bigger question with my life. And this is a chance to kind of hit Control-Alt-Reset. Remember that? Control-Alt-Escape when you need to reset like PCs back in the day? Right? We sort of get a chance right now coming out of this eventually to ask the question, where are my priorities? And Lord, show me what's up. Because we're going to pursue something. We're going to love something like Todd was talking about last week. The habits of our life, whether or not we know it or say it, we really are pursuing something with our life and with our loves. And so uh, this week, I want to look at kind of a part two from what Todd was talking about last week with Matthew 22. And I want to look at a part two actually in the letter of Paul of Tarsus. So the question of like, what am I running after in life? What are the priorities I'm investing in? This is not a new question. As Paul writes this letter, we call it 1 Corinthians. It's a letter to a group of early Christian collectives in Corinth. And these folks were just regular people from all strata of society, men and women, slave and free, everybody together, living out their lives. And lo and behold, the priorities of the world around them the cultural pond that they live in and swim in had an impact on them. They were pursuing, as we find out reading this whole letter, which we're not going to do today, we find out that they have been pursuing all sorts of ends, all sorts of goals, all sorts of ambitions and accomplishments. Some of them are great, some of them are neutral, and some of them are really dangerous and really messing up not just their own lives, but the lives of people around them. And so the priorities that they are pursuing, Paul writes a letter and he says to them, y'all, I have an investment opportunity for the ages for you. I have something that if you invest your life in, I promise you it will appreciate again and again into forever. It will last. It will be beautiful. It will be true. It will be meaningful. It will be right. It will be just it and glorious. Okay, so this is like a rad investment opportunity he offers them. And I'm going to look at that in 1 Corinthians 13. But before I look at that, I want to just give you a very small context for the world of Roman Corinth in the first century. It was a world driven by the cultural value of honor. Think about honor like coolness in junior high. Sorry if I've made some of you think about your junior high days. It's a scary time, I know. But remember coolness. Coolness wasn't a thing that anyone could print out on bills. It wasn't a thing you could hold in your hands, but it was a real power. It was something you were looking for or you were oppressed under the coolness of others. It was a real cultural priority. 
Well, the Romans and the entire Roman Mediterranean was driven by this desire to be publicly recognized, more than to be rich, more than to be powerful physically or good looking, was the desire to be honored. And so that quest for honor could be um, taken in a number of areas. You could pursue honor through claims to your bloodline, like I come from good pedigree, good parents, good lineage. You can make a claim through your ascribed honor, what anthropologists call ascribed honor, that is I'm connected to these elite people. I'm connected to this network of important folks. And we see the Corinthians pursuing this. First Corinthians chapter one, they're saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. Well, I'm of Christ and you're not, right? And they're having fights among themselves, playing an honor game that made a lot of sense to them in their world, but unfortunately missed out on what we are truly called to invest in. What is the greatest investment? Um, you could pursue honor through being a really good speaker, right? Being really effective with your words or really well-educated. And we see in 1 Corinthians 2 through 4, there are these people that are uh, giving affection and preference to like the well-spoken people, the folks that have really sharp things to say. And Paul's like, that's not it. That's actually not where you want to be investing. You could show your honor through the, the accumulation of your wealth and the power that it, it, it gives you. And one place to do that was taking people to court. And we see in 1 Corinthians 6 that these Jesus-following Corinthians were actually having fights in public courts and playing a game of honor that was actually dragging the reputation of Jesus kind of through the mud a little bit, all in the name of pursuing this thing that's so darn important. We see it in meal practices. You would have, like, think about sitting with the cool kids, right, in junior high lunch. Well, same thing happened with table fellowship in the ancient Mediterranean world. You'd eat with people that would raise your status or provide you with sort of a public display of how important and well-connected you are. And Paul goes, that's not what we're here to do. That's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. You're actually excluding people who are poor, excluding people who don't have much, and having these honor parties by yourself. First Corinthians 11, 17 and following. We see it even in worship services. So even in these public displays of piety, we see that there were folks in the Corinthian churches that were seeking honor through these conspicuous displays of worship, sort of like wrestling for the microphone. No, it's my turn. No, it's my turn. Look at me. And Paul's like, that is not what I want you pursuing. That is just a wasted investment. It may seem cool now. It may seem like it has a real nice upside in the short term, but indeed, it's actually totally going to evaporate. But instead, he goes, there's one thing I want you to consider dumping everything you have. And it's something, Paul will argue, that you can start doing now on this side of eternity, in this biological phase of life, this regular day-to-day life we live. You could start this now, practice it now, develop habits around it now, and keep doing it into forever. And it's this concept called agape term you might have heard if you've been around church, but it's this love. Paul goes, this is the investment opportunity of a lifetime. I want to read you a couple passages from 1 Corinthians 13 just to see how he frames this, and then I want to transition to something I think even more important than my little sermon here. So let me grab my Bible, and let's take a look. All right, so 1 Corinthians 13. You can follow along 
on the screen or in your own Bibles or just listen to me, all is good. Paul goes, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. That is the most excellent way to use your life to invest in the now. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I don't have agape, then I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have angelic language, but I don't have love, it's, it's just a cacophony. It's a total scratch on a chalkboard noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, imagine that, but I don't, and if I have faith to move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give up all I possess to the poor, I mean, that's pretty amazing. All of your stuff you're giving to the poor. You give your body to hardship so that you can boast about it and get that honor you're looking for so desperately. But I don't have love. I gain nothing. And then Paul goes on to define love. He doesn't leave it as this kind of fluffy, empty vessel that can be filled with whatever we want love to mean. He actually gives a definition. This is love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. So it's not seeking after that honor. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then it transitions to this last section of chapter 13, where he says, oh, by the way, something you need to know about love, it never fails. That's just not another attribute of love. It's actually, it introduces this whole final section. Paul's point is love just doesn't go away. Love's not something that at the resurrection, it's just like, well, cool, that's done now. No, indeed, where there are prophecies, those are going to cease. Do you need to hear from God at the resurrection? Like, what is God saying to the church today? Well, ask him. He's right there. Like, ask Jesus. We're at the resurrection, right? Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it's going to pass away. What that means is where there's like spiritual knowledge that's imparted by God for the people. You're not going to need human vessels of going, here's what God would have us know. You're there, man. Like Jesus is there. You have that knowledge. Paul's saying, you're not going to need that at the resurrection. And then he goes, when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child. I reason like a child. So it gives an analogy. Remember when you were a kid and you're running around and eating like all the marshmallows out of the Lucky Charms thinking that was a nutritious meal? Well, that's what you do when you're a kid. When I became a man, I put away childhood behind me. So he's talking about we're in a phase right now and it's one day going to change. We will be out of it into something different. For now, we see, gives another analogy. We see only in a reflection as in a mirror. And ancient mirrors were kind of like beach bathroom mirrors, right? They're like hard to see, kind of hammered metal, and you sort of can see how you look. So he says, right now we look only a reflection in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. So at the resurrection, you're going to see it so clearly. You're going to have that massive aha moment for the ages of like, I get it now. Right now, I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. That's a beautiful line right there. That will preach right there. And then verse 13, he says, now these three remain, 
faith, hope, and love. Faithfulness, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. His point is that if you dump your life into love, if you make that your ambition to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, that is an investment you can continue and will grow into forever. That is a life practice that you can foster today and practice now and know in Christ, you're gonna be able to do that forever and ever and ever. So get good at it now because it's something that continues. Now, I've been, I've been in church since I was a kid. I've been a pastor for 20 years. I have heard thousands of sermons. I've preached thousands of sermons, I feel like. So sermons are great. Like this sermon, fairly mediocre, but sermons are great and I like them and they help us think about stuff. But uh, for me, it's looking at things lived out in the lives of people that honestly is where I grow the most. It's when I actually see someone living out, not just talking and using cool twists of phrases or giving me exegetical insights from the scriptures, but when you see it lived out in the long haul of life, I'm inspired. And this week I had an opportunity to do an interview with one of my mentors and a mentor of so many around the South Bay, the legend Ed Lasseter. Ed Lasseter, this dude is in his 80s and I'm telling you, There is lived out wisdom, what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. So I actually am going to play for you for the duration of this sermon now, uh, clips from that interview. So it's a Zoom call, right? It's not a dazzling production. The lighting is bad. The sound isn't great. It's not going to sort of tantalize your senses. But I am telling you, if you will listen and hear And I mean it, like I'm not kidding. Take it and listen to it later. Listen to it a couple times, not for me. Listen to Ed Lasseter and what he's saying because it's what he's living. I promise you, you're gonna get a taste of what it means to invest in forever. Ed Lasseter, the Warren Buffett of investing in resurrection. So let's take a look at that. Ed, thank you so much for joining me in this Zoom interview. Glad to be here, James. <laughs> I wanted to first ask a couple questions. One is specific to COVID, and that is, Ed, tell me, like, you're quarantined, you're on the premises of your house. Tell me about your day. How do you spend your, your COVID quarantine days? Well, it turns out, James, that I'm, uh, I'm actually pretty busy. I'm still meeting with uh, the five groups of men that I'm a part of uh, every day of the week, Monday through Friday. I'm also trying to get a little exercise in. So I go out and take uh, three walks a day. That turns out to be about five miles a day. And so uh, I just uh, offer myself as a living sacrifice to God to start the day and, and ask him to fill me with the spirit and, uh, Everybody that he brings into my life and everything he brings in, I just ask that they could experience and see in me the fruit of his spirit lived out and expressed through me, that they could see his amazing grace and his amazing love and glorify God because of what they see of God living through me. And then it's a great time to pray. So I wind up spending about an hour 
a day in prayer. I just pray for a whole bunch of people all over the states. And uh, my family's all over the states. So I, I just include all of them and all the guys in my groups that I meet with and all the guys that uh, I see and have lived with for the last 25 years. And uh, so it's turned out to be a pretty great day for me. So it, it, it sounds like walking four to five miles in circles and spending time just communing with the Lord and then praying for people. And then I know for a fact, because I'm the personal recipient of some of this, you're not just praying for people. <laughs> you also then do something else. What else are you up to, Ed? Well, uh, actually, it turns out then when, uh, as I'm, I'm praying for people, then uh, I think I'm just going to call it God prompts me that, oh, well, you haven't talked to these people in a while. Uh, why don't you just give them a call and uh, see if you can encourage them. So, so from that start, and my what I'm going to call my little prayer walk every day, uh, I wind up talking to a lot of people around the country every day, and just see where they are, and just try to encourage them. I, I know several pastors, of course, because I'm a pastor, and we talk, and. Um, just today, as I was talking about this interview we're about to do, one of one of my pastor friends said, oh, yeah, I just talked to Ed this morning at 7 o'clock. He calls me at that time because he knows it's a time that's hard for me, and uh, and I need encouragement. And Ed, uh, just it's so, so beautiful. I have a question for you. This is a big question. This is like a, if you could give advice to someone like me, I'm 38, almost 39, but there are people listening that are everywhere from kids to uh, empty nesters. What would you say is the most fruitful, abundant, useful, meaningful, true way to invest our lives? Like, what does that look like? And talk to me about that. Uh, what, what comes to mind? When it when I was in my late 30s and early 40s, I was always zealous for God since I was a little boy and always serious about God. But I have to admit, when I was in graduate school at, at MIT, I, I really fell in love with Jesus all over again and, and thought seriously of quitting graduate school at MIT and, and going to seminary. But I, I, what I'm going to call, I, I got into positive legalism. And positive legalism almost ruined my life. And I was into it for almost the next 20 years. But I didn't know it because I was really trying hardest to please God with my life and to serve God. But I was becoming a legalist. Just for me personally, that was a cancer. It was like I was becoming a Pharisee. I thought I was doing everything right, but it was all me. And I was doing it in the strength of my flesh. So that didn't work out well. It took me another 20 years. <laughs> God, in his wonderful grace, uh, allowed me to discover grace, allow me to find out that it wasn't about what I did. It was about me surrendering my left life to him unconditionally and let him live his life in me and transform me into the image of Jesus. So that's a, that's a whole mouthful to say and probably too long an answer. I'm just going to say I wasn't ready to really trust my life completely to God until I was 60 years old. And that's when I asked him, 
to give me a new heart, a new mind, and to take over my life totally, and I would go wherever that led me. So that was 25 years ago, when I was just a young man of 60. <laughs> so I don't know if that makes any sense, but I would say the most important thing that I would advise anybody is don't wait a minute longer. Wherever you are, what age you are, give up your life totally to Jesus right now. It doesn't matter what your profession is. It doesn't matter what your vocation is. Now, by saying that, I realize that's the most terrifying thing that any guy has to contemplate is to give up control of his life to somebody they've never seen. And there's always room for doubt because you have to have doubt in order to have really faith there's not certainty and you are giving up control of your life but i can say i am totally convinced it is the most exciting greatest adventure that you'll ever be on even though it's terrifying i i love that ed i mean that idea of the risk of abandoning our plans our control and really just in fully giving ourselves over to the grace of God and starting the adventure. Um, what, as we're, as we're talking about this idea of, of um, giving ourselves over to the Lord and investing everything into his grace and starting that adventure of reliance completely on him, what does that look like for the way you see people that you interact with, people that you pass by, people that you know well? What, what effects has that, ha has that had on your life in that way? Well, I can say that, 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 that God has really transformed the way I see people and the way I see the world. Because, and I can tell the difference. I know what my attitude was. In a way, it's what I call the big double cross. I knew who were the right people to be with and to hang out with. There were some people I didn't even want to be around and that would include anybody in uh, just doing bad stuff, drinking too much, being in addictions, being in sexual sin, and being a, even a convicted pedophiles, and being convicted of sex crimes, embezzlement, and whatever. Well, I didn't want to hang out with them. I don't want anything to do with them, frankly. But see, one of the things that I've found out is that God has really change the way I see people. And he caused me to have a, a new mind and a new heart about the way I see the world and I see the people in the world. And that has been the greatest thing of my life because he's caused me to love the people that he loves. And he's caused me to have a different seeing the world differently and seeing the people in the world differently. I don't know if that's too long an answer, but, but I mean, that's my story. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. <laughs> Ed, that's so beautiful. And, and I just want to say um, both for myself and on behalf of the generations of men that you are investing in and have invested in and pray for and the families, I want to say thank you. Thank you for, taking that jump into the adventure with the Lord. And we are experiencing God's grace in part 
even through your investment in our lives. So thank you, Ed. And uh, thanks for taking the time to um, chat today. Well, you're welcome, James. It's, it's always a blessing for me to be with you. It's just been a great, exciting adventure. Uh, it's worked out better than I could have even dreamed or hoped. Uh, well, well, Ed, you stay safe and, and walking and praying out there. And uh, we <laughs> look forward to when I can finally hug you again and you know, go in person. Well, I look forward to it, James. All right. <laughs> Thanks, man. Ed Lassiter. Like, what an amazing giant in the faith. Thank you so much, Ed. So I want to close with, it's actually not a scripture, but it's a, it's a tradition in the early church. Um, John, the writer of the gospel, right? John the evangelist, early church tradition, uh, tells these stories. He was super, super old. As an old man, he would be so old living in Ephesus that he couldn't actually walk places. He'd have to be carried in. So he's carried in by all of his disciples. They're sort of taking him in, setting him down in the church meeting. And like, this is John. John was with Jesus Christ. Like, what do you have to say? And they'd all silence and they'd listen to John. And John would say this. He'd repeat it. This old, old dude. He'd say, love each other. Love each other. You just keep repeating it, love each other. And some of the young guns in there are like, John, dude, you, you saw Jesus do miracles. You witnessed the resurrection. Bro, give us something more. Why are you only saying love each other? Kept going, love each other, love each other. It's like, if you do this, you get it. It's beautiful. So I'm praying that you, me, the entire River Church family, we all have this chance as we move to the beginning of the end of quarantine to really say, Lord, I want to invest in love. Thanks a lot. Let me be filled with kindness and compassion for the one. The one for whom you loved and gave your son. For humanity, increase my love. Help me to love with open arms like you do. A love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Oh, that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even with just a smile, they would feel the Father's love. Oh, how you love us. From the homeless to the famous and in between. You formed us, you made us carefully. Cause in the end We're all your children Help me to love with open arms Like you do A love that erases all the lines And sees the truth Oh, that when they look in my eyes They would see you even with just a smile
smile They would feel the Father's love So let all my life tell of who you are Such a good father So let all my life Tell of who you are And the wonder of your never-ending love Oh, let all my life Tell of who you are That you're wonderful and such a good father that you're wonderful that you're wonderful and such a good father help me to love with open arms like you do a love that erases all the lines and sees the truth Just a smile They would feel the Father's love Help me to love with open arms Like you do A love that erases all the lines And sees the truth Oh, that when they look in my eyes They would see you even when just a smile They would feel the Father's love Worthy song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you
Jesus, we come to you, God. We ask you to lead us and to guide us. We ask for fear to be drowned in your perfect love. 
God, we ask you to draw near to us as we draw near to you, Lord. Would you guide our thoughts? Would you guide our actions? Lord, would you show us what to invest in in this time, God? Lord, would you lead us in your love? Thank you so much for all that you've done. We love you, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Hey, River Church. Man, wasn't that an awesome message from James this morning and such a good reminder of how important love is right now. You know, a while ago when I was studying 1 Corinthians 13, gosh, I think I got stuck at love is patient and just how hard it is sometimes to be patient in love. And then the next thing, love is kind, how hard it is to be kind sometimes. So I just hope that everything that James said really resonates with you this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, as we continue to look forward as to what the river might look like post-pandemic, we're going to be sending out a survey just to kind of get some ideas and a gauge of how everybody's feeling in the community about this next season of the river. So be on the lookout for an email coming your way. And everybody, thank you again. Make sure to subscribe to this channel on YouTube and like below, and we'll see you next week.